when you really love someone, you really want their goodness to be made manifest to other people, to be known and appreciated by others. And so our desire for God to be glorified, to be widely known with praise, is born out of our love for him. Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Michael Dauphiné. And today I'm joined by Father Dominic Werner, a Dominican, uh, who has uh, joined us and is visiting Ave Maria University today, and we're very delighted to have him here. Uh, Father, um, I want to ask you a question. Uh, you, you wrote a whole dissertation on the theme of glory, and uh, there's a prayer that many Catholics use, right? This glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. And right, what on earth does that prayer mean, right? How can we understand it? It's a great question, and one that I didn't really give much thought to when I grew up praying the glory be. I mean, it's one of those things that's kind of ingrained. You pray it every time you pray the rosary. And But when I started diving into my dissertation, I was looking at the ethics of honor and how we honor God yeah. and each other. And, and there I, I really started studying St. Thomas Aquinas on this question. What is honor? What is glory? Yeah. And St. Thomas follows uh, Cicero and Augustine in defining glory. Um, glory is, is clear knowledge with praise so, uh, or wide renown uh, with approbation. So basically there's kind of two elements to it. It's being known and being known with a, a certain kind of delight or affirmation of the goodness that is in you. So when you when you give glory to God, you are knowing God, acknowledging God, and then also uh, praising or expressing a kind of approbation of God's goodness, a kind of delight in God's goodness. And so it's an interesting prayer, though. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who was at the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Uh, what we're doing, though, when we pray that prayer, we're actually uniting ourselves to the, a prayer uh, that our Lord himself prays in the high priestly prayer of John 17. Wow. He, he, I think most people totally overlook that. Yeah, well, it's, it's, wow. it's beautiful because uh, there our Lord asks his Father to, uh, to glorify his name um, with the glory that we had at the beginning, hmm. you know, which is a fascinating kind of... Uh, in some ways, mysterious saying and mysterious prayer that he he offers there. I'm a bit of a paraphrase there, but um, and what he's asking for, he's asking that that he have the glory that he had with the Father in the beginning. In the beginning, of course, God knows Himself perfectly. Father knows the Son perfectly, the Holy Spirit perfectly. They know each other and they delight in each other. Um, in a way, the glory of God is perfect because it's perfect recognition of each other and perfect delight in each other. And so the Son, in, in asking for that glory, is actually asking that all of us might be brought into that perfect knowledge of God and perfect delight in God and His goodness. And so when we ask, when we say that prayer, unite ourselves to our Lord's Prayer, we are asking for the Lord to give us the grace to know Him perfectly and to, um, and to rejoice in Him and His goodness. And so it's, a, it's when we, and we, we ask that for that grace because, of course, we need God's help to do this, um, to give him glory, um, to acknowledge, to know him, and to, and to praise him as is, as is due. So that's, that is kind of how I came to understand the prayer. Um, 
And it has actually enriched the prayer for me. Now I kind of know what I'm asking for a little bit more clearly. Um, and, and seeing it as uniting myself to the mission of the sun as well is yeah. a beautiful way to, to enter into that prayer. Sure. So that sense that glory then is that kind of to be widely known with delight. So when we give glory to God, we're not, we're not giving something to God that he doesn't already have. God doesn't need anything or he doesn't need extra glory, right? He already has enough. And yet, when we give glory to God, we're kind of then coming to know him with praise. We're knowing him and delighting in God. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we're imitating then the very knowledge and love that's within the Trinity from all eternity. Exactly. Right? So it's appropriate in a way that we say glory to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, because in a certain sense, we're we are wanting to align ourselves to the glory that's in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Uh, and, and by doing that, we're actually entering into and asking for the perfect happiness and joy. You know, this is actually mm. what we're made for. We're made to know and to love God. We're made to be in union with God. And whenever you're, you're really with someone you love— and you're delighting in being in their presence, that's, you know, that communion is itself mm-hmm. the source of joy, right? So we're made for this communion with, with, the, with the Lord such that we can know him and rejoice in him so that his joy might be in us. And so mm-hmm. it, is, it is, right. even though, yes, we don't give something to God which he, he needs, we give something to God which actually he desires for our sake, Mm-hmm. You know, because this is actually yeah. at the core of the mystery of our beatitude and our perfect happiness to know God and to rejoice in him. Yeah. And I think the catechism says that, right, God, why did God create the world? He didn't need the world, but God created the world to show his glory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how does he show his glory in creation? Well, he's not showing it to other gods because there are no other gods, but he manifests his glory in creation by having creatures in creation who can come to know and love him right. in a way with his own knowledge and love, right? Eventually right. to really have sons and daughters. Exactly. So that's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think in some ways when we talk about glory, um, I mean, I don't know. I feel like that, you know, if we start talking about it before people or, I mean, there's almost a sense of kind of like embarrassment, mm-hmm. um, you know, like as though the faith, maybe as mercenary or we're just trying to become, I don't know, you know, like, so it's almost kind of embarrassing to say, well, I I really want to be, I want to find glory. And so, Mm. um, so Mm. how would you, how how do you help people think Mm. about that? This idea for glory is not, or, you know, I guess maybe I should ask you, is it, is it embarrassing? Is it selfish? Right, to desire glory for oneself. Is that kind of the question is like, how do we well, just as to Christians desire it at all? Glory? Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, it's a great question. And what's beautiful about the Lord's love for us is that He actually wants His own glory to be ours. He wants to yeah. share that glory with us, which means He desires us to, to be known ultimately by Him, to recognize that we're known by Him and approved by Him, right? To hear the words of our Lord, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enter into your master's joy. He wants us to, to hear that from him, to, to know that we are known and loved and delighted in, which is kind of the, the core of, of our union with him in, in the life to come. So that's the glory that we hope for, that we're made for. 
Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong in seeking that, right? But certainly uh, there's another question about, well, what about in this life, right? The kind of glory that, that uh, in, you know, well, reputation, um, fame, uh, recognition that we desire from other people, right? And that, of course, is a little bit more fraught. And we have to be careful in how we, um, what kind of uh, recognition and respect and honor that we seek and that we accept from other people always has to be for what is truly honorable in God's eyes and ultimately referred to God, who is the source of all good in, that we have in ourselves, and, and referred to the good of our neighbor. Um, so there is a, a bit of a, you know, there is a something um, you know, a certain ambivalence we should have towards certainly worldly honor and, and respect and recognition. Um, and we have to be careful there. But certainly yeah. the Lord has made us for glory and the glory mm-hmm. that is also, uh, that comes from him first and foremost. Yeah, so maybe if we go back to the original prayer, glory to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we could almost make it, it's almost glory with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, that the true glory we seek is not when we stand on our own and say, I did it, right? I'm glorious. It's more when we recognize I've been created. Right. I've been created and I've actually kind of, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, yeah. how wonderful it is that I exist as a creature of a glorious creator. Right. So I'm kind of recognizing in myself mm-hmm. The fact that I don't exist from myself or for myself, but that I exist from God for God as a creature of his. So, you know, it almost reminds me when it's, it's something as silly, uh, you know, why is it that parents put kids' artwork up on their refrigerators? Well, it's because to a certain extent their kids did it. They love their kids, so they put the art on there. and. So there's a strange way when we see ourselves, of course, obviously uh, better than probably the kids' artwork, um, but also filled with a lot of defects because of mm-hmm. right the, the the problems of sin and the brokenness mm-hmm. of the world. We see ourselves as artwork almost that we can kind of glo- find joy in and happiness in mm-hmm. because we see we're really just kind of, we're, we're handy work of God. Right, right, exactly, and that's, it's, it is liberating just to, to in any encounter with that love of, mm-hmm. of our Father who has chosen us to be his adopted sons and daughters, who has testified by, by this choosing to our, to our goodness and that we, mm. we, he does delight in us despite all of our you know, sins and failings. You know, he, he, uh, he has chosen us anyway, even though we're yet sinners, right? So... So the love of the of the Father, which we you know encounter through the Son, is a it liberates us to ex- actually accept our brokenness, and to accept that we are yet beloved and and esteemed highly by the God who's made us, who's redeemed us. So th- there is a liberating um, truth here, you know, to be found that that the Father loves us, that the Son died for us, though we're yet sinners, and that there is a mission then given to us too, a mission to actually to join the Son in his redemptive work, which is a glorious mission. You know, it's yeah. it's a mission which we do not deserve, but which by his grace, uh, by the, the Spirit at work in our life, 
we're actually brought into such that you know the lord's glory and our glory are really are really merged as you said you know we glory with the father here not because yeah. we you know not by our own strength or merit but because we've been incorporated into christ and now have this noble mission of sanctifying the world of leading others to him and of of manifesting the goodness of god by our action you know and by our, yeah. our thought word and deed so it, it is a truly a, a liberating and beautiful uh, mystery of our faith that the Lord loves us in this way. Yeah, it is beautiful. And it strikes me that when we think about love, there's a time where we do see the necessary kind of love as a commandment, right? There's sometimes you may not feel like love, but you just love anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Love is not a feeling, love is a decision. And that's true. And therefore, there's an aspect of love of, of maybe family members or love of neighbor or, or even love of God that we just do regardless of what we feel. But then there's an aspect of seeing love as kind of leading to glory, mm-hmm. where that element of, right, we love and we know with praise. Mm-hmm. So the kind of love is, is an act of the will, but then overflows into right from the mind to the will and also to the heart, because we mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. say, not only I love you, but thank you. Yeah. Not only thank you, but you are wonderful. Right. Right. It's that kind of delighting in the presence of the other. Right. Uh, that I think really is, you know, in, in a way kind of liberating and gets us out of a legalistic framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me, uh, you know, I, I recently have a, a my, uh, you know, gr- granddaughter turned one. And, you know, it's like, when, when, you know, when you hold her or you see the family gathered around, there's a delight. There's a love. She didn't earn anything. You know what I mean? It's a yeah. receptive mode. Um, and I feel like that's an element of, yes, it's love. Yes, there's a command. Uh, but there's a delight and a praise and a joy. And there's kind of a glory in a way to right. a newborn. And, uh, I mean, you know, now she's one, no longer a newborn, but still there's a, there's a kind of delight in that. And there's a kind of glory, right. there's a splendor. Right. Uh, and I think that's almost why people, I don't know, put it, kind of somewhat enjoy young children, yeah. uh, especially really early because before the terrible twos and things, because <laughs> they kind of manifest just that splendor Yeah. and, and a kind of wonder. Yeah. And, and I think a kind of, and it's hard for us to see ourselves we can almost see in them, okay, they're created by God. They've been baptized as a child of God, but I'm kind of so scarred and and messed up or uh, I've made too many bad decisions. It's like hard for us to delight maybe in ourselves and in one another. Uh, and, and so anyways, I think the sense of glory is kind of like a splendor that sometimes we recognize in one another. Um, but I think what you're saying is that when we say that prayer, glory be, we're kind of saying, may that glory be to God, may that glory be in me, and in a way, may that glory be in all creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it, it is true, the, the connection between love and glory is very close in, in different ways. I like the, the example you gave of, you know, putting up your your kids' artwork on, the, on their yeah. fridge. You know, there's something about when you really love someone— you really want their goodness to be made manifest to other people, to yes. be to be to be known and appreciated by others. And so, our desire for God to be glorified, to be widely known with praise, is born out of our love for Him. You know, it's love for our Father who is mm-hmm. so great that we want others to know Him and to delight in Him too. So there's a way that love is dr- drives to glory. Um, it motivates us to seek God's glory. 
Um, and, and also, you know, there, there is that, um, the way in which glory, you know, the, the testimony to our goodness being known with delight also does confirm for us that we are lovable, as you said, you know, that, yeah. that, which is always a doubt, which, which we have because of our sin, because of our, you know, our brokenness yeah. that we need to hear from, from the Lord, you know, I love you. I, I, you're worth dying for, you know, and, yeah. and to hear that, that, uh, that affirmation of our goodness from the father who knows us perfectly, who alone knows us perfectly, who alone can testify with absolute certitude that you are worth it, um, to hear from him, um, that you are, you are good and I have chosen you and, and, you know, come into my own life. Uh, that, that is the, the kind of assurance that we can, uh, that we have uh, uh, something lovable in us, right? It comes from him. It's, yeah. bo- it's brought into being from him, uh, but it's something to delight in. Yeah, there's a, a powerful kind of theme in the Gospels. It reminds me a little bit of where Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount. And sometimes we're familiar, don't let your works be seen before others, or you'll get reward before others, but do them in secret so they'll be done bef- be seen by God. Uh, and I think that's in Matthew 6. Mm-hmm. But then in Matthew 5, he also says, right, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Right. So there's this, we, we, we ultimately ought to do works, but they're not our works. They're our works in a way that are inspired by our heavenly Father. And yet at the same time, we're not doing them for praise of others. We're doing them for praise of God. And you know, I think it's just kind of fascinating that because I do think there there can be a tendency. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis in the Screw Tape Letters when he's talking about humility. I, I think he might say this somewhere else, but you can almost think it's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Mm-hmm. But the example he gives is that if you're building a cathedral or if you're an architect, uh, you ought to build the best cathedral you could build and be pleased with it just as much no more, no less, as if anyone else had built it, hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes there might be times where we rejoice too much in our own works and think like, oh, I did something amazing. And when somebody else does something, we tear it down. Uh, but I think also, and I sometimes tell students this at the end, just like how proud are they of their fellow graduates mm-hmm. on graduation day? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I said, well, you have to be that proud of yourself too, because you should delight in your work no less than mm-hmm. the work of another. And so it, it's to a certain extent, it's it's not denigrating the genuine goods that human beings can do. And it's certainly not over, it's not glossing over their defects. We're fully aware of those, but we do need also to recover um, in a way that delight, or at least that sense of that recognition of, you know, the, the good things in the world as well. Right. Right, exactly, and and the Lord really gets it that the 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 pitfall and also kind of the 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 mission that we have in this regard, where of course if we do good deeds so that they may be seen uh, by men and recognized as such, then of course we've received our reward. You yes. know, we mm-hmm. we receive what we mm-hmm. did them for. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't do them for God's honor; we did them for our own. And of course, the Lord has harsh warning about that, right? But on the other hand. He enjoins us to do good deeds that our Father might be glorified, right? In which case, if that is your intention, then let them be seen. Let them be, let them be acknowledged. 
precisely as a means by which you might help someone else glor- give glory to God, in which case the intention of your work is fulfilled. And, and so too, in our own, with our own accomplishments, you know, that the Lord has empowered us to perform, right? This, we can do nothing apart from Christ. So as long as we recognize that the gifts that, that, that have enabled us to, to accomplish anything are gifts from him, um, and we acknowledge him as the principle of any good deed that we do, then we can, we can recognize the good that we do as good, right? And refer it to God as a reason to honor him and to give him glory. And if we do that, then, you know, we'd only be afraid of, you know, there's, we're doing it all as the Lord has intended and, and for his glory. Yeah, you had um, mentioned earlier uh, this aspect in Romans 12, where Paul says in loving one another, we should outdo one another in honor mm-hmm. in honoring one another. And what you're describing there, I think if we think about it as doing our work so others may see them and give glory to God, it, the moment we, we somehow pause and we just get stuck at the look at me right. and then we feel awkward. But there's also a way in which I think we can see the idea that how good it is to encourage one another. And if we see that as honoring one another is in part by encouraging one another in seeing the good things they do, and at least the best we can, trying to do fewer bad things ourselves and to recognize then we can all be in this together. And through that, you know, we can, uh, you know, we we, we can kind of support one another. Yeah, exactly. That's so important. I mean, it's so important for a number of reasons, but Partly because we all desire to be good and to know our own goodness. We all desire that. We're made for that. Ultimately, of okay. course, because we're made for, for that perfect union with the Father where we will know not only his good, but our good in him, you know, and know it forever and rejoice in it. And so we need that confirmation uh, of that we are good because our own self-knowledge is very limited. So we need that encouragement from others. And so it's a great gift when we give it to others to help them to see what's truly honorable and good in them so that they might uh, be provoked and kind of encouraged to even greater deeds of virtue and to be encouraged to see what is truly noble in themselves and to live for that. Yeah, it reminds me of a, I think it was a marriage prep uh, speaker or something I was a part of at one time. And I said this idea that one of the things, the beauty is just honoring your spouse, hmm. having that idea that, you know, one of hmm. our vows, you know, one, at least one of the classical vows is a sense of honor, mm-hmm. right? And just if we do that on a daily basis to show honor uh, and love and joy and praise to one another. Yeah. Oh, it's essential. It's essential to a good relationship and to a good friendship and to a, a healthy body of Christ. Yeah. listening to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. If you'd like to support our mission, we invite you to prayerfully consider joining our Annunciation Circle, a monthly giving program aimed at supporting our staff, faculty, and Catholic faith formation. You can visit us at AveMaria.edu to learn more. Thank you for your continued support, and now let's get back to the show. Father, um, when I talk to I think young people today, especially, but I will say middle-aged people, and I think old people today, mm-hmm. there's definitely some people that struggle to see much excitement in Christianity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or much excitement in heaven. In a way, Christianity seems boring. 
mm-hmm. and heaven seems boring. How would you answer? It's a great question. I've encountered the same the same phenomena. Um, well, I think it helps to start with kind of an understanding of what boredom is. You know, a wise person once told me, I'm, I'm afraid I forget who told it, I'm sure he was wise, <laughs> said, <laughs> said to me once his definition of boredom was to give an answer uh, to someone uh, to a question that they're not asking. That's a, a rule of thumb oh, in sure. teaching, you know, is wow, if yes. ever you're giving an answer to, mm-hmm. to a question that no one is asking, you're, you're boring them, right? So in teaching, that means you got to provoke the question first, right? But I think in another sense, the boredom you're referring to is kind of more of a, it has to do more, I think, with the the futility of action or, or something like where it's, you know, there's not something exciting and motivating about uh, about my life, about uh, a course of action I might pursue. Um, so it's not an attractive life or an attractive course of action, whatever it might be. And I think there's various reasons that might, you know, someone might come to that conclusion. It could be, um, well, if if uh, if I see a, a, a possible way of life as um, being miserable, you know, mm-hmm. or not leading to a kind of uh, peace and a sense of accomplishment and fulfillment, then of course it's not going to be a, a, a life worth pursuing. It'll be boring in that way. It doesn't amount to anything. It doesn't build anything. What's interesting is to me, I, I mean, the Christian life, on my assessment, is the only not boring life. I mean, this is the life that promises that all that we do will come to fruition and fulfillment and have an eternal purpose or significance. I recall, you know, when I was uh, first kind of grappling with the faith and and, um, kind of my own initial conversion, deeper conversion to the faith, one of my reflections was actually kind of mercantile. It was kind of simplistic, but it was... Uh, the question I ask myself is, what is worth investing your life in? You know, what actually sure. has has significance, a payoff, right? Kind of a crude way to put it. But, you know, it's, it's a kind of existential question we all face at some point in our life, especially when we encounter the reality of death, uh, the, the kind of failures we encounter uh, professionally or in our, in our, even in our scholarship or studies. Um, when we encounter these difficulties, you might think, well, my life is really kind of futile. You know, it's not accomplishing something. And, you know, that's, that's a boring life, you know? a life that doesn't amount to anything. It's not moving towards anywhere. It has no dramatic form, right? It's just stuck. And really life apart from the hope of the gospel is stuck. It's, uh, you know, it's a, uh, a brief moment where you do something and then it's over. And there's mm-hmm. what is there to show? You know, what is there to show for your striving? And it's a, you know. Yeah, it's a theme from Ecclesiastes, right? It's like you build up and another one takes down. What All of our work, yeah. certain, a vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities, it, it, exactly. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the greatest learning we have will, 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 will pass. All these different elements. There is something that's passing about human Right. achievements, right. Right? you know, thus right. passes the glory of the world. And the beauty and the beauty of Christ's gospel, one of the beautiful aspects of it, is that he gives our life a dramatic form that has wow. a real trajectory, something that will last, something that will endure, something that can be built up in us uh, unto eternal life. Yeah. Can uh, you say more about what you mm-hmm. mean by dramatic form? Sure. 
So, well, I, I, I take it that, you know, the issue of boredom is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if you think of a boring movie or a boring, uh, you know, television program, it's something yes. where, you know, there's, there's not a, a clear dramatic form to it. Maybe the plot's not advancing at a pace that can sustain your attention. It doesn't seem to be going somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, characters are uninteresting for whatever reason. A dramatic form by that, I just mean that there's a, there is a, uh, there is something to strive for and it has a purpose and can, can build towards some kind of resolution. And that's what our Lord enables for our life by giving us the hope of eternal life and crowning our strivings uh, by his grace, our grace strivings, crowning it with glory so that everything that we do in this life can have an eternal significance if done uh, for his sake and empowered by his grace. You know, so, I mean, one way to, to look at it is, um, you know, I, th- I think that there's sometimes a misconception that heaven is entirely egalitarian, you know, and, and of course that's true in a way, you know, uh, everyone in heaven is perfectly loved by God and perfectly happy. But, you know, the, the Lord tells us that, you know, the last will be first, first will be last. And he tells us that, you know, there are mansions prepared and great will be the rewards. Mm-hmm. So there's a differentiation of rewards. And, uh, and so, which is to say that, that here and now we're engaged in a dramatic pursuit of growing our capacity to enjoy heaven. And some, uh, by the grace of God, are more able to enjoy that fruition, that perfect vision of God than others. You know, St. I believe it's uh, St. Therese of Lisieux has this beautiful image of, of the souls of the saints being different cups of various sizes. And in, in heaven, every cup is filled to the brim, all that it could possibly hold. But some cups are bigger than others. And so let's just yeah. say that our, our strivings in this life are actually building, preparing our hearts for the perfect, um, the perfect enjoyment of God in heaven through a perfect uh, beatifying activity. And so everything in our life can actually be directed to that purpose and have an eternal payoff. It's not all vain. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And it's interesting that you talk about that dramatic form that we see ourselves as part of a story. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in a way, when you think about watching a movie, almost the definition of a bad movie is one where you check your watch. Yeah. You know, a, a, a good movie is when you're disappointed it's over. Yeah. Uh, and the same kind of thing with a book. You know, if you yeah. if you have trouble finishing it, it's not a great book. Whereas a good book is the one you want to keep going on. And it's interesting. Uh, Gerald Tolkien, in a, uh, an essay he wrote called "On Fairy Stories," um, he actually says, "Right, good s- stories are ones where you want them to continue. You want to live in them." And then he says, "The gospel is that great story." Yeah. Right. There's yeah. a reason yeah. why uh, some people, if you're familiar with the Bible, the Book of Acts doesn't have an ending. It just kind of wanders off in, in chapter 28, I believe. You know, it just, mm-hmm. it's like, it doesn't have an ending because in a way we pick up that story. Right. And so we discover in ourselves that story and all of a sudden then we can recognize that we're like those people in that watching that fun movie where I don't have to check my watch yeah, because every day is a great adventure. And I think, you know, what you're talking a little bit about this theme of, you know, boredom when we don't have the right questions. It reminds me, you know, a question uh, can be seen as something really we seek. And if you go back behind question to the notion of quest, all the great stories, th- there needs to be a quest. 
And so what I sometimes think in a way that people think the Christian life is the good life, the peaceful life, but they forget that it's the adventurous life. It's really, right, the great adventure. Mm-hmm. So how would you, you know, I think you did a great job of seeing how we discover our life has meaning, but how is the Christian life also this kind of thrilling adventure? Well, that's a great question. Um, uh, and I want to get to it in just a second, but but your comment about um, about the beauty of the of the great story and yes. the, the, the dramatic narrative of our faith. It was brought home to me by an experience I just want to share real quickly. Yeah, of please. I was visiting American University back in the year of faith many years ago and was reaching out to this uh, this association of students who's an atheist and rationalist student organization. And I just reached out to them asking if they'd like to speak with a, ca- a Catholic wow. friar, you know, on the off chance they'd be open to it. Yeah. They invited me to come. And I was and I was speaking with these two atheist students, and they said to me, you know, Father, the story of Christianity, the story of God who becomes man, who out of love for his creation, his creatures, uh, gives his life and dies for their sake and then triumphs over death. They said, they admitted to me, they said, it really is the greatest story you could conceive. You know, it really is. Uh, and and wow. they said, there's no question mm-hmm. that it's, it's shaped Western civilization ever since it's been told. We just don't believe it's true. And, and I thought, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk okay. about that. But it was even there, there was a recognition that this is a beautiful theodrama. There was something attractive to them even there that we could talk about. Well, it is true. There's reasons to believe it's true. This is for you. This is your story. Um, but to get to the point of, of seeing our life as, as brought into that story and as an adventure, um, I think we have to see that we are, uh, we are engaged in a kind of battle, you know, engaged in, in a mission that, inv- that is fraught with challenge and trial and tribulation, all the elements of a great quest and epic, um, that the Lord and the Lord permits us to, to live in, amidst these trials. And he permits them, as St. Thomas would say, precisely so that we might merit victory with Christ and merit eternal glory. We might have the glory mm-hmm. of triumphing over these trials and tribulations, which the Lord in his mercy permits us to experience. Mm-hmm. And so there's a beautiful uh, challenge to us and in in, in an adventure. Of course, it's very mundane at times. Like these trials are not so glamorous, right? They can be very simple forms of suffering, hidden forms of suffering, hidden trials that no one else can see. But when seen through the eyes of faith and in light of Christ and his re- the drama of salvation, we can see that we actually are entering into the great drama of the Lord's work in his creation, uh, preparing ourselves for eternal glory and participating in his triumph over sin, suffering, and death. Yeah. So in that sense, our... It's not just, I mean, maybe our sufferings or rejections, uh, mistakes. I mean, just think how much I, I, I hate being wrong. Yeah. Most of us, I think, hate trying to do the best we can and then realizing I messed that up. Right. It, it, but, but somehow that according right, you know, to what really Christ somehow shows is that somehow through the suffering mm-hmm. that we move to glory. Right through the death, we go to the resurrection. So, in that sense, 
It's not that Christianity means we won't suffer, but it means that none of our sufferings are in vain. Right. Suffering now can be, as it's been the instrument of redemption in Jesus Christ and of a new creation in his resurrection, so in us, it has meaning and purpose. Exactly. And that's, that is the profound uh, and terrifying and beautiful mystery of the cross. You know, that the Lord has saved us by inviting us into his own salvific mission that we might carry our cross with him, that we might mm-hmm. encounter him in, on Calvary, and that, that the Lord in his, in his mercy you know, desires for us to, to know him on, on Calvary, to know him there. Yeah. And and this is, you know, it's a it's a uh, it's a mystery, and I said a terrifying mystery at times, uh, but it's one in which uh, great great triumph and great glory is to be found. And the fact yeah. of the matter is, you know, you will suffer whether you're Christian <laughs> or not. You know, you're going to suffer whether yeah. you're Christian or not. Whether mm-hmm. if you find Christianity boring, okay, <laughs> you, well, you're still going to suffer. Yeah, you know. And the good news is, there's there is there is good to be found. You know. The Lord is up to something, and, and your suffering is not meaningless. It, it has that's, a purpose. That's really beautiful. And, Father, when you were speaking with some of our students earlier, you give a beautiful image and insight into heaven uh, that I just wanted to share, uh, where you said heaven is not just coming into God's presence, having him say, you know, seeing, in a way, right, Christ in you, and then saying, right, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and uh, share your master's joy. And then you run off. Right? Right. It's actually hearing that for all eternity. For all eternity, that well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's joy. And and it's like when we hear that, what would be more glorious than to hear the God of the universe, right, who has, of course, entered into the world through his son, Jesus Christ, and redeemed us. But to say that, to hear that, and and somehow that, and just be in that moment, it would be right. that kind of great consummation of all of our deepest longings. And, and I think there's something really powerful about that vision of heaven as thrilling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and there's a, a twofold mystery there. Where we have both the 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 delight of being of receiving this this divine perfect approbation from the Father forever, right? This is as I was saying to the students earlier, this kind of uh, idea that in some ways the last judgment is not over and done with, but actually is essential to our beatitude. The Lord saying, "Well done," you know, wow. to have to yes. be eternally yes. to be eternally told that by yeah. your Father. Yeah. We're not. We're not capable like we're not sufficient unto ourselves right. so we need not only to know and love god we also need to hear hear and receive god's knowledge and love and delight in us exactly right yeah. we're not alone in heaven we're kind of yeah you know we're taken up into god's arms yeah yeah unfortunately i think sometimes people hear of the beatific vision and they just imagine you know turning on the god channel and just kind of <laughs> sitting back and like marveling well it's no, it's God's. It's you seeing God seeing you mm. with perfect delight. Yeah. You're delighting in God perfectly. God is delighting yeah. in you, His gift in you. So, so there's that aspect of of the the marvelous mystery of 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 our you know eternal beatitude. And the other part of it is that we are actually still agents in heaven. You know, 
uh, our perfect happiness is born of an activity, mm -hmm. right? We're, we're agents, we're active in heaven. And it's, it's a beatifying action that is, uh, that is at, at the heart of our, of our um, beatific life. And of course, you know, what form that action takes in, in the kingdom is mysterious to us. We don't know exactly what it will be, but we do know that whatever we do will be an action that perfectly gives glory to God and manifests our own goodness and glory. And if you think about anything in your life that you've, that you've done, that you've, you know, when you did it, you were like, I'm really glad I did that. You know, like that yeah. was a moment where I did the right thing and I felt, you know, like I, I, I did something noble now I can look at myself and at least yeah. I see that, you know, and I hope, I hope everyone has some moment where they, you know, have that beautiful gift from the Lord of being inspired to do something noble, maybe in a difficult circumstance. And they can re recall that with gratitude to God, they were able to do that. You know, this is whatever, whatever that, you know, that, that joy, that kind of peace that that deed gave to you is destined to be perfectly fulfilled in heaven of kind of joy and a peace, which you couldn't fathom. Of, of, of doing something noble forever and being perfectly united to God who is, who is working in and through you for all eternity. Yeah. It's a great mystery. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, the more you describe it, the more you, 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 you don't do it justice, yeah. but, uh, but certainly we're made for that glory. And, you know, maybe one thing to think a little bit about is this idea that, you know, I wonder how much sometimes Christians maybe over the last couple centuries have, for whatever reason, failed to talk enough about this theme of glory, mm -hmm. where we sometimes people have turned Christianity into kind of a moral of faith. Um, maybe you can see a little bit of this, like in Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, where there's the great character has a great conversion at Christmas to become a decent human being and to share his wealth. Mm -hmm. um, but there's no incarnation, right? There are no mm -hmm. angels, there are ghosts. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So we turn Christianity into kind of becoming a better person in this life, which is certainly a good thing. Right. right, but it's not Christianity. Right, right. Christianity really is this promise of glory, and I think in a way, over the last couple of centuries, there have been attempts to represent Christianity in terms of earthly terms. And so, I don't know if you kind of how you could talk about how do we try to recover a vibrant sense of glory, uh, you know, that makes it all worthwhile. I mean, I think it's a, a Paul in Romans 8, he says, right, I count as nothing as the sufferings of the world compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. So presumably then, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. the sacrifices I will experience in this life and perhaps the extra sacrifices I may experience by trying to live a life in accord with God's plan. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously the all the sacrifices associated in recognizing the ways in which I mess up God's plan mm -hmm, uh, and mm -hmm. return to him, that those become worth it because I have a vibrant sense, mm -hmm. right, of the glory that awaits. It's like you can people train today because they want to be healthy. Right. They want to run a marathon, so they train. They want to live a little longer, so they eat better. Um, it's because they have a vibe. And I just, I don't know how to, how, how do you feel like we can go about trying to help people recover so like the, the glory of heaven is almost like touchable and tangible. Right. And it gives meaning and purpose to each day of our lives. Yeah. It's a great question. I do think that I have encountered something similar where, where all, you know, sometimes 
people see the, uh, the the Christian life as primarily just avoiding certain sins, right? Yes, it's kind yes. of a negative, you know, just doing X, avoiding Y, and that's kind of the whole of it. And and that's and that's there's really no like I like we were talking <laughs> earlier, no dramatic form to that kind of yeah. life. You're just you know either you're 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 on this side of the ledger or on the other side of the ledger. And and the the beautiful truth is that the Lord has desires so much more for us. He actually wants us to to grow in a supernatural life here and now mm. so that we mm-hmm. can we can live that perfect life of glory in the life to come which is to say that you have uh, a mission here and now and a purpose and a, a, a opportunity to grow in Christ's own life i think one important thing that maybe you know a, a theological truth of our faith that sometimes is neglected is that that by virtue of of faith and baptism, you have been united to Christ such that his spirit really does dwell in you by sanctifying grace. Mm-hmm. And that has given you now the, the dignity of acting in Christ's name. You know, if you think about it, you are, every Christian is a vicar of Christ in a way. You know, you are an emissary as a member of his body, uh, which is a very noble dignity that you possess. You know, um, and you know, it, of course, we never none of us live up to that perfectly. Mm-hmm. But the Lord doesn't retract it. You know, He's not; He doesn't yeah. negate it. Yeah, and and I think I think it's Aquinas that says that faith is the beginning of eternal life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe in part, it's that when people think about the glory of heaven as only something that begins in the future and I have to sacrifice now in order to get it, then it begins to seem less real over time. But that's not really the classic mm-hmm. Catholic vision, right, mm-hmm. that Aquinas unfolds. We're actually, eternal life is beginning in us right now. Heaven is beginning in us right now because we can experience today that the, that really the words of, of our Father in heaven who can say, right, this is my beloved son in whom my soul delights. Right. As he said to his son at the baptism, and he says to us in our baptisms. Right. So if we recover a sense of our right becoming children of God, mm-hmm. then we can actually experience some of the joy and peace and adventure that heaven promises already in this life. And in that sense, right, I can be I can find meaning and purpose today. And and that's priceless. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And of course, you know, it will, whatever imperfect happiness we enjoy here and now will pale in comparison to what's to come. We like, well, that's, yes. that's, that's true. Um, but certainly it's the case though, that we have, we have been given the, the, by grace, a, the, the glory of a good conscience as St. Thomas would say, mm-hmm. the, the peace and, and the, the joy of knowing that we're loved by God and that we are in relationship with him which already gives that a foretaste then of that joy yeah. that we'll enjoy forever. And that foretaste, in a way, is that sense of God delighting in us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting, right, in the Bible, it's Satan that's the accuser, right. and it's the Holy Spirit that's the advocate. And by the way, Christ says that I'm going to send you another advocate, so he's our advocate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Holy Spirit and Christ are not coming into the world to say, shame on you, mm-hmm. but to say shame off you. Exactly. Right? To so that we can feel that we could stand. God already sees us anyway. 
uh, right? But that God sees us and loves us. Uh, you were talking earlier a little bit about Christ's um, seeing us in a way on the cross. And I know, you know, the catechism speaks about that idea that Christ on the cross sees each of us and loves each of us individually. Mm-hmm. Um, we may skip over that and think, oh, he loves me the way my mom loves me, but my mom doesn't really know how nasty I am or something like that. But no, Jesus sees us and he's on the cross dying because he sees just how broken mm-hmm. and wounded we are mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. at the same time loves us. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a real deep need for us to kind of rediscover in a strange way, right, our lovableness. And this is not, um, right, this is not accidental to the gospel, right? Because we can't love our neighbor unless we love ourselves, And so we have to somehow learn to love ourselves, which we can only do if we first recognize God loves us. Right. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of um, real, uh, you know, just, I guess there's a lot of glory in that and um, very, you know, thankful for the time you've had with us. Before we close, I want to ask you three questions okay. kind of quickly, and you can give me just three quick answers. Okay. Uh, and so the first one is, what's something you've been reading lately uh, that, that you really enjoy? Great question. So I am preparing a few courses uh, they'll be teaching in the fall. And uh, I've been reading this, this fascinating book. He's actually not a Catholic, but uh, N- by N.T. Wright. Uh, he's an Anglican um, uh, bishop called Simply Jesus. And Mm. in that book, he presents, I think, a really beautiful historical argument for the credibility of the resurrection, Mm. um, which I think is very apologetically useful. So if you're interested in in a a kind of concise and compelling historical argument for for the, the credibility of the resurrection of the Son of God, N.C. Wright has a, some really great, worthwhile things to say. And so uh, I was just, you know, I'm finding it to be quite interesting. That's I think great. I'm going to use it in Simply my Jesus. Yeah. That's excellent. Uh, second question. What's a practice you do on a daily basis, all right, that helps you draw closer to God? I find that intercessory prayer uh, really hmm. helps me in particular in just growing in charity in general. So uh, I find when I have uh, people on my heart that that are that I'm praying for, whose whose needs I'm aware of, who I'm mm-hmm. I'm offering to the Father and trying to bring before the Father, I find that it it's really helps my whole prayer life. That's wonderful. And finally, what's one truth that you've discovered about God that has changed your life? Wow, uh, there's a, quite a few, but <laughs> I suppose the core one is that. Um, that he will never give up on me. Mm-hmm. That you know, no matter how I uh, perceive my own weakness, I'm not as perfect as I want to be. That yes. he's, that I'm still his. That's great. Well, Father, would you uh, lead us with uh, the glory be? Of course, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it so was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Father, for just a wonderful exploration of the theme of glory, uh, This our theme of this beautiful prayer, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, and just kind of a, a, a great way to really remember the great gifts we have right in our faith and the great adventure that's before us each day. So thank you again, Father Dominic, for being on our show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. 
If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on The Catholic Theology Show.